My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Lawrence Barriner II. The first time I had the good fortune to meet Lawrence, I was so deeply touched and moved that I immediately invited him to come on this podcast. We spent about 45 minutes together, and in those 45 minutes, which incidentally were not easy to get because Lawrence is a superhero when it comes to his capacity to set healthy, loving boundaries that allow him to be compassionate towards himself and caring towards himself and towards the people that he loves and towards the work that he is called to. And so he is very choiceful about where and how he spends his time. But in those 45 minutes, we went uh, deeper into sharing than most people I sense ever get a chance to do with a stranger in their whole life, which is in my estimation, its own kind of tragedy of our current social constructions that that level of intimacy and depth simply is so outside the realm of what most of us think is possible that we couldn't even imagine it. And Lawrence not only imagines it, he just goes straight for it. He is a, uh, a lineage keeper carrying and, and stewarding and shepherding forward lineages that are not always welcome in dominant cultural settings. He's also a culture maker, inviting all of us to step towards possible futures that we can only envision if we create the space where we can grieve and heal. And from that place of healing and wholeness, imagine something new. So in those 45 minutes, he did something very simple and also very, very unique which is to simply give each of us 10 minutes to tell our story. And we talk about right out of the, out of the gate. I said, Lawrence, we've got to talk about this so people can hear it. And I think what he did in that invitation to share his story and invite me to share mine was model his belief in the power of love to create justice and the power of story to make new worlds possible. Lawrence is the opposite of an escapist uh, living in imagined realms so that we don't have to face reality. Rather, he is a, a creationist, perhaps we could call it. <laughs> and I realize that word is loaded with other cultural baggage. But what I mean here is someone who is willing to create something new out of the old and who is at the same time willing to honor the best of what's come before while letting go of what no longer serves. He does this work one-on-one and groups, 
um, particularly around the intersections of white supremacy and toxic patriarchy, helping men of all identities and of all body types step into these questions of power and privilege and possibility. And he also is someone who can think at vast network scales with a master's of city planning and a bachelor of science and planning from MIT. He's researched extensively the ways in which systems of justice and systems of nourishment uh, are accessible or not to people around the globe. So if you're interested in hearing more about about Lawrence and what he's up to, you can go to his website, which is lqb2.co. That's lqb2.co. You can also follow his weekly newsletter on Substack, which is lqb2weekly.substack.com. And check out his beautiful podcast with two of his dear friends, Life Radio, liferadiopodcast.com. So I think we should get settled in and hear what Lawrence has for us. <sighs> All right, let's do it. Hi, Lawrence. Welcome. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you. So good to be here. Uh, yeah. Gosh, I just maybe want to sit for one more moment and think about where to start. Just before we started recording, we were landing and arriving and I noticed like three different directions come up that I potentially wanted us to go. And I'm remembering our first in-depth conversation and you extended this really wonderful invitation, um, which I don't think we'll have time to do with each other now, but I want to sort of maybe just describe it and explore it, which is this invitation to simply speak with each other for 10 minutes, one would take a turn for 10 minutes and then the other would take a turn for 10 minutes, attempting to tell a story about ourselves and who we are and where we understand ourselves to come from and how we arrived to this moment. And I had never done that with anyone, uh, at least not that I can recall in sort of a one-on-one -on -one connection or conversation. And it was so beautiful. It was really fun and enlivening and heart opening and, and insightful. So I just want to like mirror back that, that experience was so meaningful to me. And, and I wonder how you came to that and what was important to you about starting that way, as opposed to any other number of ways we could have started that conversation. Yeah, that's such a good question. I'm glad that that landed well for you. It doesn't land well with everybody. <laughs> Some people are deeply, deeply uncomfortable with that. They transform it, they shift it, they reject it. So mm. Um, mm. I know we, in that conversation, we both felt like, oh yeah, we are each other's people. Like we are people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so it feels good yeah. to like hear that it landed. And um, yeah, I think where that, like honestly, where that came yeah. from was, yeah, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hate the question, what do you do? Mm. Like mm. it just drives me bananas. <laughs> and... <laughs> I've hated it for a long time, but I did not realize until my political awareness developed. It's like the reason that I don't like that question is because it, it like the, underneath the what do you do question, people are often asking like, who are you and how do we relate? But they're asking, what do you do? In my mind, largely because in America, we define ourselves based on our work. Yeah. 
mostly our paid work. Mm. We have collapsed our identities onto the thing that we do to earn income. And Mm. it's just like, it's often like a really boring answer (laughs) because Well, you know, in this context, we don't like so few of us get to do something that resonates with our soul. Yeah. So few of us get to do something that like aligns with our purpose. So like we ask this question sort of hoping for something like connective and we get this like super dry, awful answer. And I just got really tired of it. So for a long time, I played with many questions um, and other parts of my life is like the who are you like what is your story and i will give people at parties like the two minute the five minute 10 minute or 20 minute options um and you know sometimes it's really nice to do a 20 minute option if it's like you know you go to a party and like your your friend and this other person's friend are like both talking to each other you're like all right well i don't know let's talk for 20 minutes yeah (laughs) so it came from being tired of the question what do you do? Not like actually scratching the itch that came up. And it has resonated because I've continued to do a lot of storytelling and personal storytelling work. And so much of what I think the world needs is people who know their stories better. Mm. And so it's a nice way to get to play with that, play with my own story to support other people to play with their stories and to like play together with stories. Cause there's usually lots of insights that come up when two mm. people tell each other some version of their stories. Mm. Mm. I love that you just used the phrase play together. It felt very co-creative. There's this way in which the act of attempting without realizing that I was about to do it, like without preparation to attempt to, to sort of choose what to tell was this sort of uh, creative act and there's something about like the telling of the story that is also the creating of, of the future story. There's something in that, like create, there's a creative process there, the act of storytelling. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, it resonates massively. I think storytelling, like, who is it? Uh, I think it's Yuval Harari yeah. in his book, Sapiens. And I guess before the book, he said like, you know, the thing that sets us apart is like, we tell stories and, you know, there's like traditions all over the world that have known that like the human gift as apart from other animals is like, we have the capacity to tell and retell stories. Mm. And I just think that there's so much in there that we tap so infrequently in a society where we have mostly Uh, what's the word we've outsourced our storytelling to an industry. So like Mm. reclaiming some of that, even Mm. if it's just for our individual selves is like, Mm. I don't know. It just feels good. It feels so good. It's creative. It's like fun. Yeah. It is fun and creative and sort of um, self-creating. Like there's this way in which like, I want to go back to that moment. So what do you do? And I'll speak from my own personal experience. There's this kind of like um, indexing or something that my inner system is trying to do in that moment of like, what should I say to this person? Um, What's going to be interesting, but like not too interesting that like maybe makes them uncomfortable because their answer isn't that interesting or, you know, it's this weird. And so it's like, 
you know, you end up with this, like the most meaningless, everyone has the most meaningless response. You know, like I work in finance, I work in leadership, I, I, you know, or, or someone who's kind of bold, a little bit bolder or willing to embrace something that's less, less, maybe culturally dominant, culturally accepted might be like, I'm a poet or, you know, and that, and then everyone doesn't know what to do with that. Like, what do we do with a poet? You know, like this, this, it's just like, it's so awkward inducing and it's such (laughs) a shame. It's such a real, like, it's a, one of the many tragedies, uh, of, of this, journey to here is that we've lost this ability to know ourselves or communicate ourselves in a way that invites the other person in and starts yeah. to generate conversation and interest and possibility. And instead it's this kind of like, we've each pulled a tooth out of the other and then what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Now we're just like standing there with each other's teeth. Like, yeah. okay, I guess I'm going to go to the drink table now. <laughs> Yeah, so nice to meet you. I gotta grab some some tortilla chips and guacamole because I really yeah. don't know what else to say at this point. It's like yeah. such a missed opportunity for connection. Such a missed and, opportunity. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. so then that makes me wonder, and I and I have some ideas intuitively, but I'd love to hear you play with why is that when you extend this alternative offer, like, hey Andy, instead of telling me what you do, tell me your story. And, and I show up and I'm like, and I'm awkward and I try and transform it or, or escape it. Or like you're describing some of the other responses as opposed to receiving it and playing with it. You know, what, what's going on there? Tell me more about what the fear or the, the sense is or the, the running, the escapism that you sense there. Yeah. I mean, I think you sort of touched on it before. There's like a, there's this indexing that we've learned to do, um, a lot of what happens with the what do you do question is people like ranking themselves against each other. Mm. Like mm. because we identify ourselves so much with our work, our value gets tied up in like how much money we make or like how much prestige we have via that job. Mm. And I think there's a lot of like turning away from, I mean, until you don't want to give, like if you work in a position that is perceived to be on a lower end of a hierarchy you might turn away from that because you feel some shame or you don't want to go there. You don't want to share that. Mm. Sometimes if you work on the high end of a hierarchy, you're like, well, I don't want to, as you said, like, I don't want to make someone uncomfortable with the fact that I'm like, and you know, like an associate VP at Google. So I say I work in tech, (laughs) like you flatten, (laughs) you flatten it to like, not make the person who is an admin assistant feel weird. And it can come from like a place that is compassionate but it just doesn't often land well. It, it doesn't do the, like in my mind, the, con, the reason we ask that question is intending for connection right. and the flattening takes us away from it. Right. Um, I think also there are people who are actually afraid to be creative mm. Mm. because mm. creativity is this thing that we have made belong to certain people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm. and so much of that is about well, I guess many things, but as I'm around all of my nibblings, who you know, nibbling is like a gender neutral term for niece and nephew. Yeah, yeah. Um, Such like a great around, term, by the way. When I learned right? that, I learned that last year or something. I was like, oh, that's so sweet, <laughs> so incredible. I got to shout out Adrian Marie Brown for bringing me onto that one. Um, like being around them before they get into school versus after they're in public schooling. Like, mm-hmm. watch the creativity sort of like 
fade mm. from them as mm. they learn how to, you know, do things at the same time as their peers is mm. like often the thing, whether that be stand in line, get the juice box, read, nap, take the test, achieve the thing. Like the creativity in my mind is like one of the places it leaves us is like that process. And so then we grow up, we get older as adults and we're like, well, creativity is this thing that makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm. So people like turn away from mm. the, cre- the mm. possible creative moment of like, oh yeah, this is my story. Like mm. it was different last week and I'm going to tell it again. You know, like I, I'm going to tell my story now because I'm a different person than I was last yeah. week. Like there's such an opportunity to like play there. And I think a lot of people have been made un- to feel uncomfortable with their creativity. Yeah. Um, and so there's some turning away there that happens. And then I think maybe one other thing I know has happened is um, sometimes people have really cool stories and they just feel like shy to tell a cool story. Um, and I don't think that, well, whatever, I have a lot of feelings about that, but um, I do think that's the thing that happens. People like, like, especially if, like I'll often offer to go first if someone feels like un- super uneasy. <laughs> Um, and sometimes people will say like, oh, wow, I'm so glad you went first. I was going to tell this boring, small story about (laughs) this other thing. But since you said, since you started with your grandparents, like, I want to tell you about my great, great grandparents. Like that's where my story starts. And like people like have cool stories, but they don't always feel like super forthcoming with them. Cause like, we don't usually make that space for each other in modern life. So I think there's some shyness that doesn't take that much effort to like open up if you know how to do it. Yeah. Well, you are certainly a remarkable model or exemplar of what becomes possible in a relationship quite quickly. If we start from a ground of authenticity and storytelling, as opposed to a ground of kind of like status and appearance and some of the other stuff. Wow. Thank you for saying that. Well, I, I mean, I'm not blowing, blowing smoke. You know, we've, we've now spent yeah. counting this time right now. We've now spent a combined total of about an hour and a half together, you know, like 30 minutes here, including the time before recording. And then that, that conversation and uh, yeah. shout out to Dave Madden, the amazing, like sort of force of nature, Dave Madden for introducing us. Uh, but you know, his instincts were spot on. And I think it like huge credit to your willingness to just say, Hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this differently. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, there wasn't a, like a, a, even the slightest hint of hesitation or, you know, you're just like, I'm going to offer this and I'll see what Andy does. Yeah. That was cool. So it really <laughs> modeled it quite beautifully. Mm. And I sense if I had tried to, I, I sense if I had tried to dodge or escape or if I collapsed, you know, into something simpler, you, you know, you would have held me with a lot of compassion and, you know, patience and still continue to, to model the invitation that you kind of want to be in the world. So I really like sense that about you, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is true. And, you know, sometimes I don't, but like mostly I, I try to do that. Yeah. Feels, yeah. It just, it just feels better than the other options. So yeah, anyways. totally. You know, so that's, I'm glad, I'm glad we started with that because I, it gives, it gives folks listening in uh, a felt sense for sort of what I, if, if I had to attempt to describe not what you do, but how I, how I experience you, like I really experience you 
as, as, and tell me if this doesn't land with you, but I sort of experience you on the one hand as kind of a, a champion of, uh, of cultural practices and lineages that have been attempted to have been erased or flattened or, or, or assimilated or, or kind of neutralized. And you're kind of like putting like a drop in the pH liquid to be like, no, no, we got to like, we got to like, we can't keep neutralizing this stuff. Yeah. Like, so I'm going to stand for stuff that isn't always, uh, always welcome and and sort of dominant cultural spaces. And at the same time, while standing for that, I also encounter you as someone who's working really hard to make uh, a new culture or to make Mm. space for like creative new possibilities that haven't been imagined yet. So there's this both kind of like reaching towards the past and also imagining towards the future. And so you're kind of this like culture maker or something that's just really, really unique and important, I think, in this, in this moment in our, in our collective history. And I'm curious to hear how that lands with you. Yeah, it lands very well. Um, and feels, you know, like a real gift to have that be named in that way. Like, mm. You know, one thing that I've so appreciated about listening through the backlog, my personal backlog of Wonderdome episodes is like your capacity to name what's present and also to name a layer underneath what's present. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. So mm. it feels, yeah, like I definitely see it. I watch it happen over and over again. I'm like, whoa, it just happened. Andy did the thing that he does. <laughs> Which is very, yeah, it feels like a, a gift. And I don't know why I didn't expect it to happen, but it definitely happened. So thanks for that. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think to just speak to what you named pulled out of reality, like, yeah, I think a lot about where I am as the intersection of the past and the future. Um, mm. The present is mm. just the, it like the present is the interface between what has come before and like what comes next. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, obviously in one way, like all we have is the present, but in like a million other ways, the present was created by the past mm. Mm. and mm. the present, like, you know, the present that was 10 seconds ago is gone, but I can make space for the future to be different if mm. I am intentional mm. about mm. how I let go of this present moment. And so much of that, yeah, feels, I mean, when I really think about it, it's just like way more fun. Like it's just fun. Like it feels good. <laughs> like I get to laugh. Like other people get to laugh. Like I get to experience joy and happiness. And like, obviously there's heavy, hard things, but so many people who've come before us have experienced heavy, hard things and like laughed right after yeah. laughed in the moment, laughed and danced because like, what else do you have? <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I might even like, yeah, I will go so far as to say that I know people personally, and I also sort of know of historically this sort of um, pattern of running away from the heaviness that paradoxically produces more brittleness, less capacity to like, it's sort of to the extent that we can be with, 
with the raw, tender pain of life is also the extent to which we can be with the raw, tender beauty of life. Like they just, they're just, you kind of can't, you kind of can't run away from pain and think you're going to find joy on the other side. Just kind of find mediocrity. You find blandness, you find safety, but even that's an illusion that's going to disappear. Like, you know, Helen Keller said something like, the fearful are caught out as, as often as the bold, we all, you know, essentially like we're going to, no matter how deep you try and hide, you're right back at the same place of this sort of fragility and tenderness of life. Totally. And there's a Khalil Gibran quote that I'm going to see if I can find really quickly. Nice. Um, I think it's about, I mean, the quote is about grief. Um, and yeah. Okay. So it's a poem called on joy and sorrow and it's a beautiful poem, but I'll just say these two lines. Um, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is it not the cup or is not the cup that holds your wine, the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven. And is it not the loot that soothes your spirit, the very wood that was hollowed with knives? Like right. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wait, how long is the poem? Um, it's probably it's like four times as long as what I just read. Would you if you're all right with it, would you be willing to just really read the whole thing, like take us fully into the space this poem's inviting us into? I would love to do that. And this makes me think about episode 50. One of my favorites <laughs> with, with my with my brothers Francis and Cyrus and Lee. Yeah, that was a good one. Wow, those poems. I'm still like all over Francis's website, <laughs> just like in there. Okay, so yeah, he's enjoying sorrow. Very, very special human being. Enjoying mm. <sighs> sorrow by Khalil Gibran. Then a woman said, "Speak to us of joy and sorrow," and he answered. Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? And is not the lute that soothes your spirit the very wood that was hollowed with knives? When you are joyous, look deep into your heart and you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. And when you are sorrowful, look again into your heart, and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Some of you say, joy is greater than sorrow, and others say, nay, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come, and when one sits alone with you at your board, Remember that the other is asleep upon your bed. (sighs) Barely you are suspended like scales between your sorrow and your joy. Only when you are empty are you at standstill and balanced. And when the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh his gold and his silver, needs must your joy or your sorrow rise or fall. On Joy and Sorrow by Khalil Gibran. Mm. Mm. Sure. <laughs> right? Doesn't that one just like it packs uh, a wallop? Mmm, <laughs> mm, packs such a wallop. Mmm. You know, it brought to mind just last night. I was um, my daughter's three and a half, and 
the way we do we do the bedtime routine is is to sort of I just sort of say around seven thirty or eight I say you know okay okay sweetie my body's getting tired I'm going to go lay down and I lay down in, in her bed and and I bring a book and you know when you're ready just come come in and usually within a few minutes like sometimes within thirty seconds she's like all right I'm ready you know there's just something about that's the cue. But last wow. night she just really wanted to play. And so I said, okay, well you can play in your room and I'll same deal. And she was just playing in her closet. She has these little felt toys that she can kind of cut out so that she can make little characters with. And she was whispering a little story about what was happening that I couldn't quite hear. And I just remember like, just, I was hit so hard that it brought me to tears that this moment of her playing two feet away from me, whispering a story was so precious and fleeting that it made my heart ache. And it also made me burst with joy that I got to be there for it and just kind of listen and observe and watch. And I, and I feel that like, that's, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Like the very fact that that moment will never come again was what made it so joyful. And also that's so, so sorrowful. And, uh, I feel like that invitation is so important to meet. We're so afraid of, and I say we in a very general sense, but there's a lot of fear around sorrow that yep. produces so much sorrow. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. We are like so scared. And so Francis Weller talks about this in his book. Um, oh my gosh. What's it called? I can see it on my shelf. It's right there. Okay. I'm going to remember it. Um, Francis Waller has a book on grief mm-hmm. and he says many, most of us are afraid of our grief and our sorrow because we've, we worry that it will have no end if we mm-hmm. step into it. Mm-hmm. And so we just stay away. We just avoid. Just away. And, you know, uh, there's another author, Martin Prechtel. He says yeah. in his book, the smell of rain on dust, you know, of Martin. I do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. Yeah. Uh, he's like, grief doesn't go away. <laughs> like if you don't tempt it, it will just like, it will rule your life forever and it will just hang out and Ooh. mess up everything. Ooh. It will get Ooh. in your bones. Ooh. It will get in your body. It will get in your blood. It will get in your community. It will get in your nation. It will get in your lineages. Like it doesn't go away. So it's the amount of, additional suffering that avoiding our sorrow generates is like unbelievable just like unbelievable and the fear is real like people are afraid if they go in they'll never come out that's right it's like it's a reasonable fear that they will (laughs) be that there's this part of them that really believes that that they will be destroyed if they actually go into that yeah exactly that they will be destroyed yeah and Hmm. fortunately we know that that is not what happens like those of us who have been around, um, oh my gosh, I forget who is it in episode 50 who talks about wisdom paradigms versus knowledge paradigms. Mm, mm-hmm, Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Francis kicked that off and then yeah. and then Cyrus uh, brought in kind of the Schopenhauer stuff, the Arthur Schopenhauer yes. philosophy around like wisdom versus knowledge, yeah. Yes, so those of us who have been around, we have the grace to be around people with wisdom yeah. We know that it it has a bottom, like our grief. You can touch the bottom of your grief and it will not destroy you. Yeah. But if you're not around anybody who has had that capacity, you don't know. Yeah. So you don't go there. And so then your life is 
so much shallower because you know like Khalil Gibran says like the lute the guitar like it has to be carved out to sound good like playing a tree doesn't sound the same (laughs) (laughs) like playing a guitar sounds very different because it has been hollowed out yeah Um, Mm. yeah, I, Mm. I feel like I have been so moved especially since COVID but even the last few years like just paying attention to grief like how much does how much does tending to our grief how much more is possible when we tend to our grief mm. like that is mm. so much of what i've been thinking about and mm. it really is so much joy <laughs> like so mm. much joy is possible when we tend to it mm. Mm. thanks that was a ramble <laughs> No, fun. no, it wasn't. It, I didn't experience it as a ramble at all. I'm just mm. like take, taking it in. It, it, uh, I'm grateful mm. that you tapped into that poem and took us into this space. Hmm. I read a book, uh, finished a book recently that really deeply impacted my relationship to sort of the the public commons, such a, such a disease, like a sort of civil discourse and democracy in the state of democracy in America right now. And it's a book called American nations by Colin mm. Woodward. Mm. And, uh, it was written in about 2010 or 11 or published in 2010, 11. And, um, it points to an understanding of America that kind of the headline is essentially that America is clearly not one nation, And it's not even as some people think two nations, two parties, North, South. Mm -hmm. It is in fact a emergence of 11 distinct cultural lineages. Um, And he's in particular really looking at like, you know, Anglo European lineages sort of, so kind of from the quote unquote kind of founding of America and where that came from. And, and when we talk about things like the culture wars and things like, um, you know, polarization and these kind of languages that are pretty, these words that are well bandied about in the current moment, he sort of points to, well, well, actually there are literally like cultures that were warring with each other to produce a very kind of shaky, uh, national identity that when someone speaks to like, Hey, once, you know, someday we will be America. He's like, well, that's why we haven't gotten there. Right. Wow. And it's a really fantastic. I mean, it's like, if you're not into history, it's maybe a little dry, but even if you just read the introductory chapter, it's like instantly stuff started to shift and click and, and I'm struck. And so I think the reason it's coming into my awareness right now is like, I'm struck with a sense that so much of that, so much of those cultural wars, which extend, you know, 400 years plus into our quote unquote American past has produced these intense, intense amounts of loss and death and pain. And, and we've just never grieved it. Like, you know, never mind efforts to repair it or to move past it. Like there's still, and never mind the fact that there's still, the war is still actually happening right now, but it just seems to me that maybe we've never one thing that we haven't done enough or or maybe even at all is to properly grieve how much how many lives have been sacrificed at the altar of this 
kind of fiction, this sort of collective like America that that we're all trying to find our way into in this current yeah. moment. And yeah. I wonder, yeah, I wonder as I just sort of share that with you, what comes up in terms of this question of collective grief or collective, you know, you talked about like how much joy would be possible. And and I, and what I'm aware of is that how much I grieve, like how much pain there is in our current human collective and what might it be like for us to begin to actually grieve that pain and, and move it, move towards it as opposed to running away from it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. We need a full hour <laughs> for that question. <laughs> I know. Did I just, I just opened the door to it. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. You also, I, you have a, a knack for like finding, like for setting up a thing that is like huge, but also <laughs> then like containing it. So I, mm. I, I trust where this will go, <laughs> but I love like you, you, you often say at the end of your episode, like, oh yeah, we'll often close the episode with like a question that's massive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I truly love it. Um, okay. We're not at the close yet, though. We have a good, like, That's 15, right. 20 minutes at least. So, yeah, minutes. plenty yeah. of time. Um, okay, so this... Ah, what is possible? Okay, so the grief that is untended to in America. Yeah. Like... Oh, just, it's, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like actually unfathomable. Like when mm-hmm. I think about mm. what is possible, it's like just so much, right? Like mm. things that we don't even know to grieve, need grieving, like mm. just so much loss. Like, um, Francis Weller's book, it's, it's called, um, Oh my gosh, I had it on my head and my mind again and I forgot it. Um, <laughs> we'll look the, it up. It'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Or do you want to look it up right now? It's, it's about it. sorrow, the wild edge of sorrow. Mm. Um, in there, he talks about five stages of grief. Um, and, or excuse me, five types of grief, not five stages. That's a different thing. Yeah. Um, and like one of them is like grief for something that you thought should be, but wasn't. Oh. And another type of grief is Grief for things that you don't, you don't even know how to grieve. Like you don't even know how to grieve. And like those, those two are distinct. Like when people get married and then they divorce, they are, they often grieve like the rest of their lives together because they had a vision for what they were going to be together. Like, you know, like if you get divorced before you have kids, you have to grieve the kids you don't have. Like that's so huge. And the type of grief that, um, is intense, but like workable. Mm. Like mm. you can, you can have support to work your way through that. Like mm. someone can, someone can support you, therapy, coaching, healing, like you can be supported through that. It's really hard to grieve things that you didn't even know that you yeah. could have had. Like yeah. when I think about, um, I do a lot of men's work and I am, as someone who is queer, I have a lot of compassion around people who are closeted. Um, yeah. And like the grief of someone who was on their deathbed, who never got to like engage physically or intimately or romantically with someone who they wanted to be with so bad, but like society 
and family and culture made it not possible for them to believe that they could do that. Like the grief of that is like, like massive. And like, that is true at the individual level, but for like centuries here, like we don't even know like how much we could have had, like we can't even think about like what America would be like if everybody who was here when the constitution was constructed had a voice. Oh, like, oh my God. So, you uh, know, it's uh, like so uh, big. So like Lawrence, yeah, you really, I'm getting hit so hard with this. I've, one, I'm realizing I need to read this book, the wild edge of sorrow, just to even ar- articulate these kinds of grief. Yeah. That, that alone feels just felt like progress for me to yeah. realize that there are things that we don't even know we need to grieve that are yeah. impacting us and, and living in us or, or moving in us. And to the extent that we be, can begin to meet those specific explicit invitations you just offered, like what might it be like to grieve the America that could have been you know, at, at the moment that that constitution was created, what might it be like to grieve the America that that could have been if when the settlers arrived in Jamestown, the colonists arrived in Jamestown, the way they engaged with indigenous populations was different. What might it yeah. be like to, yeah, just, ah, like there's a, there's like a endless list of things yeah. that we need to grieve there. Yeah. But so, so at least for me in this moment, I'm feeling a yeah. sense of power and possibility now to begin to like face that and meet that a bit more consciously and wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I think what becomes possible when we do that is like new worlds. Like we could actually, like when we can think about that, we can think like, oh, okay, like what could I learn from what could have happened then that is actually still possible now? Like there are ways, like colonization is an ongoing process. It's not something that happened in the past. And like, we Mm. are just like, Mm. like recipients of it. Like, no, it's still happening. Like the federal government is still taking land from indigenous people. Like children are still being taken away from their parents. Like we're watching this globally at our borders you know, beyond like in places that are oceans away, like these things are still happening. So like, what can we learn from what could have been about how we want to be today? Like, I think Mm -hmm. there's lots of possibility there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I'm honest, um, like, I think this was, I did some like little Instagram series where I was like quoting, I was coming up with these um, haikus that were um, about, I think they were about America. It might've been, it might've been in like, you know, the like black liberation uprisings of 2020, like June, 2020. Um, I was like, just trying to think about like, what, what is possible if we grieve and let go things that we need to let go of. And so one of the quotes that came up was like, America is some people's best thing. Like that, was a line that like felt Mm. like it just Mm. needed to come through in that moment. Mm. And it's like, if America is your best thing, of course you don't want to lose it. Mm. Like Mm. the idea that America would ever break is like 
terrifying. And if you begin to imagine what could be in America as it currently stands is no longer your best thing. Like the energy you have, as you were sort of talking about, like the energy you have to like move towards something else is like, whoa, like there are better things. There, <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> holy, like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, we could do better than this. And it's like, you know, if this was a good thing for some people for some time, like fine. It's not been great for a lot of people for a long time. So like, you know, name that. <laughs> uh, put very understandably and politely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's the best thing you've had, like, great. Acknowledge that. And like when you can begin to feel your way into more, like, the more that is possible, mm-hmm. you just like, you have to change your relationship to this mm-hmm. thing that we have here. Mm-hmm. Like if you mm-hmm. think the best thing you can get is like one piece of cake, you learn that two pieces of cake are possible. Like, why would you hold on to one piece of cake if you want to? Like, you can let it go. It's fine. Like, anyways. Well, I feel um, like I'm drawing yeah. back to where I'm drawn now as you name that and you name that energy of both allowing that the best, the best thing that someone may have experienced up until this moment is X, whatever X is, this, this idea of America or this identity of a certain, you know, certain body in a certain, with a certain skin tone born in a certain place or whatever, these kind of things that are explicitly and implicitly understood to be the best in, in dominant cultural systems here in America. Like, yeah. Okay. Meet that, Mm -hmm. honor that. And then what if it could be that for everyone or what if it could be that times 10, like just, just, what if instead of asking someone, Hey, what do you do? You could say, tell me your story. What if we could all do that for each other? Which would act <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, it's kind of scary. Cause for right now, the best thing for me is to be able to tell people I have a cool, fancy job title. Like I kind of made it, I made it like in that little social moment, I made it to the top of the heap. I can say I'm the VP of Google if I want to, you know, or, mm-hmm. or I can choose not to say it because I'm being compassionate and you know, like that whole dynamic. What if instead we could actually connect, right? Like yep. that, that's what is amazing is that right now in this moment, yeah, the the even better thing is available if we know where to look for it or how to look yep. for it. And it seems like part of what's going to enable us to look for it is to actually be able to see how it's absent through this grief process that you've described. Yeah, totally. Ah, <laughs> Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do we do? How do we get out that we've got, uh, we've got five minutes. We get out yes. everyone listening. How do we tell them to go out and create, create this, this new. Podcast? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I have some tips, obviously, always. <laughs> yeah. um, and. Okay. One thing I just have to say, because um, it, it didn't come up, but it's right. It's the next thing. Like mm-hmm. when grief starts, Mm. often a thing that comes quickly is anger yeah anger and rage come very quickly because like okay i can grieve i can be sad about the loss but then i'm angry about who caused the loss Mm. or Mm. who caused the loss insights anger in me um and so i just want to name that uh dealing with our anger and rage is super critical in the process of grief Mm. Um, i'm a big fan of Thich Nhat Hanh's book, How to Be Angry. It's a very short little one. And also Lama Rod Owens has a book called Love and Rage. 
Highly Ooh, recommend both of those. <gasps> oh my gosh. Anger was the book. Thich Nhat Hanh's book on anger was the, the book. My mentor at age 22 gave me that book and it transformed. I would say that was one of the books that transformed my journey in my life. So absolutely. Co-sign on that. And Huge. also want to check out Love and Rage. Yes. Um, so just wanted to offer for people who decide to take up the grief work or exploring grief, like know that anger is likely around the corner and get ready to hold your anger because nothing is wrong. If mm. your anger comes up, like mm. nothing is wrong. You just mm. need to learn how to be with it because mm. again, we don't learn how to do that here. Um, so that's one thing I want to say quickly. And then, you know, when I think of what's possible, like, you know, I so appreciate the way that you name like this place that I sit in between like going to the past mm. and being in the future. Like I often think about the idea of Sankofa, go to the past and fetch what is needed. Oh yeah. And bring to the present what is needed now. Doesn't mean get everything. Like some people think you got to get everything like conservatism, mm. Mm. Um, mm. regression, repression thinks like, oh, we need everything from the past. Like, no, get the wisdom from the past and bring it to the future so that it can shape the future or bring it to the present so it can shape the future. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when I, when I, when I lean into like my heart, like what is possible, how did we make what's possible present? It's like actually everyone should do the work to this opening question of like understanding your story. Like if mm -hmm. everybody took time to understand their story like for real for real mm. Mm. the threads that that leads you to are like transformative revolutionary and if you're like, and if you're uh and maybe you can think of people you don't obviously have to share mm -hmm. any specifics but maybe you can think of people who you've met or worked with who don't even know how to like you've mm. just, they've just gone like, okay, I, I got it. I need to be able to know my story. How the F do I even start? <laughs> like, I don't know. My story is this it's, I yeah. work for Google or whatever, you know, whatever, yeah. like the one line, I don't know anything else beyond that. I don't know how to tell it. How yeah. do you, how, how much you help them begin to see this, the like infinitude of story elements that they're actually present in them and that they can start to access. Yeah. There's, there's an activity called the river of life yeah. Yeah. that I would just recommend that people like it's relatively easily Googleable. Um, the way the activity works is you take a piece of paper and some drawing utensils and you draw out your life as a river and there's good instructions online you can find, but it's like, you know, draw it narrower when things felt harder, draw it mm -hmm. wider when things felt ex more expansive. Mm -hmm put rocks in the middle when you ran into issues, like when you ran into barriers and it made your river turn a different direction. Mm. Like, are there waterfalls? Mm. Are there rocks in the middle as opposed to on the edge? Like you can sort of get creative with this like yeah. visual illustration of your life. And then there's lots of sets of instructions, but ones I like to like, okay, now, now like make sections of this river and like write out what was going on in bullet form in those sections. Mm. And then if you feel really up for it, like, write out specific stories that were happening in those sections. Like how did what was happening in that moment relate to the shape your river took? Like mm, divorce, mm, first mm. love, 
first child, mm. family moved, global catastrophe, yeah. like space yeah. shuttle launch, like whatever the things were like, what's the story of you when your parents were divorcing or what's the story of your first love? Like as you write those, those smaller stories in the arc of this larger river story, um, you pretty quickly find your way into like unbelievable depth. Yeah. And from there, you're probably are going to want to talk to somebody about it. And then once you're talking to somebody about it, then like everything is possible. Like just talking to somebody about the things that the things that are coming up for you as you unpack your story is like, I don't know. I think we could have like entire, like people could live their whole lives just doing that. And I think yeah. some cultures like, that's a lot of what people do. It's yeah. like, let me just yeah. tell you the story of me, which is the story of my grandparents, which is the story of my land, which is the story of yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, you know, I've never tried to live my life in that way to the fullest of what you've just described, but to the extent that I've played with the storytelling as a path towards both self-understanding and other understanding and the connection, the mutualism mm-hmm. that emerges from that process, even if the stories at face value are so different, like it's just, it's unbelievable how, how yes. different things could be just with that one move. So I know yeah. you probably have 20 other Tips. <laughs> and true. I'm also aware that we've just gone a minute past our boundary and we haven't even talked about, by the way, how, how remarkably exceptional you are at setting and holding boundaries. Um, <laughs> so like, that's just another amazing thing about Lawrence or anyone who's listening. It's just totally sets a different standard for what it is to care for space and time and energy that most of us give up without even thinking. So mm-hmm. I want to honor that as we come to a close and I'll I'll give you the last word in a moment, but um, one thing I'll just name in a way that I haven't named before is I'm really aware that uh, part of what I have to do as a host of this show is actually grieve for all the conversations that we didn't get to have. Oh yeah. And uh, I'm really in touch and maybe uh, I hope, I hope that you and I, I sense that you would, that you're going to be back. I hope that you sense that too. Yes. Uh, maybe even back with other guests. I, I've started experimenting with that kind of cross-pollination and and I uh, just really want to say a deep bow of, of gratitude and respect for who you are and how you show up in the world as, as, a, as a both kind of a lineage holder and a culture maker. Mm. Wow. Okay. I just, the gifts that you're giving me from this conversation are huge. I'm for sure going to put lineage holder culture maker in my next bios. Like no questions. I might quote you if there's like word space. No um, need to. Those are <laughs> gift, gifted to you. Thank you for the gift. Um, is now last word time. Now, and unless you have extra words beyond the last word, but yeah, now is last word time. Yeah. yeah I want to give some gratitude to you for the invitation for the conversations, for the depth, for the holding, for what you're making possible in the world via the Wonder Dome mm. and the work that you do. Like I, you know, read all over your website and I was like, oh my God, do I need Andy as a coach? Like, <laughs> I'm definitely thinking about it. So heads up, you know, okay. no promises, but I'm thinking about it. Um, and sweet. yeah, yeah. I think I just want to say to folks who are listening, um, like other worlds are possible. Yeah. They are literally on the other side of our breath. Mm. 
Mm. And Mm. how we find our way into those other worlds is like, for me, it's like where life gets fun. Yeah. Let's, (laughs) Let's just like find our way into other worlds that are possible. Like they're literally just on the other side of the next breath that we are each taking. So amazing. Lawrence, through it. Let's go. Thank you. Here's to Thank other you. words, other worlds and the words in our next breath. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you, Andy. Thanks everyone for listening in. Thanks for tuning into the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.